Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And today we're kicking off Season 4 with John and TJ Osborne, two of the most exciting artists in Nashville, and definitely two of the nicest. We'll talk about their electric career in country music as the Brothers Osborne, as well as how their parents introduced them to guitar and bass in a small town on the Maryland coast. We'll also explore TJ's experience as one of the only openly gay musicians in country music and how his coming out in 2021 affected the band, their friends, and their fans. All that and a little taste test of their brand new rye whiskey, which they were kind enough to send to the Southern Living offices for a sample. Y'all enjoy. Well, John and TJ Osborne, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Good to be here. So I saw y'all perform at Oak Mountain Amphitheater in Birmingham last year, opening for Jason Isbell. Yeah, that's right. Great show. Thank you. Yeah, we obviously love Jason's music, but just love him as well and his band and crew and everyone. That was was a nail biter there. I think Joe Alatacun was also supposed to join us, and um, through the whole COVID procedures and precautions, she was unable to make that show happen. But that was a very memorable day. Yeah. Well, it was for me too. It was great to be there. So, okay, I want to get the voices straight here. So, y'all grew up in uh, a little town on the Chesapeake Bay called Deal, Maryland. Right. John, what's the best place to eat in Deal? Um, well, there aren't a lot of places to eat because it's a very small town. There are plenty of places to drink, that's for sure. But uh-huh. our favorite little spot, which opened up right around the end of us actually living in Deal, and I think our sister worked there before she graduated high school, is a, a great little spot called South County Cafe. And you can get everything from like, you know, um, Finger foods, the subs and sandwiches and crab cakes and, and the works. And it's, it's something that we try to stop by um, every time we go home. South County Cafe, about a mile from our house. And TJ, is it the same for you? Oh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a staple for sure. Absolutely. I want to ask you all a little bit about Deal. And I'm just wondering if everybody just grew up spending time on the water. I mean, did you all pretty much grow up in and around boats all the time? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. For those who aren't familiar, it's a, it's a pretty small town. I mean, less than 5,000 people. But it was a really interesting place to grow up. I mean, we grew up right on the Chesapeake Bay. You could look out our front window and, and see the bay from there. And they've always joked that there's more boats than people in the town. And it's really pretty close in proximity to D.C. and Baltimore and Annapolis. And so a lot of people, um, mainly uh, from D.C., would keep their boats in our, our town and, would you know, on the weekends would, would come in and, and um, take them out for a stroll. But it was also just a, a place that's, in a very beautiful way, has been kind of time-stamped. It hasn't 
kind of stuck in time. And so I feel like people go there and they can kind of tune out from the the modern hustle and bustle that our, our lives have all become. And and it is a great escape in that way, which, you know, we grew up there. We didn't realize any difference at the time until, until we moved to Nashville and, and started having those fast-paced lives to realize how really uh, unique and, and special it was growing up there. John, did you grow up uh, doing a lot of fishing or hanging out in boats too? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, a bit of a rite of passage. We grew up across the street from waterfront property. Um, the area that we are from in the uh, there are a lot of summer homes. So a lot of the people that live across the street in the winter weren't even there. But when we were kids, we'd go out to the pylons and we would get a, you know, just a crab net. And you would walk around pylons and you would just scoop up crabs. You can't do it as much anymore because it's been quite harvested over the years. But it's certainly one of my favorite pastimes. and. If you don't have a boat in the old, your very close friend has a boat. There's a 100% chance of that. So we'll hop out with friends of ours, drink beer, go out fishing for rockfish and bluegill and croaker and stuff like that. And it's just how we spent our years. And I really, really do miss it. It was a special place to grow up. So I'm wondering if Deal feels like a southern town to y'all, or does it kind of have one foot in the south and one foot in the northeast? Depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we always say it is, and it's pretty true. Is everyone from the south thinks we're northerners, and everyone from the north thinks we're southerners? But we are just kind of right there at that spot, you know, where there's a lot of uh, country, rural, middle America feeling roots at the same time. You know, there, there's a mix of people, like a lot of progressive, a lot of liberals, but then also a lot of conservatives and, and traditionalists. So uh, it was interesting to grow up in, in kind of two two worlds all in, in one really small community. And we get asked all the time how we got into country music being from Maryland. And what seems so crazy to be asked that if you could just see where we're from, probably our particular town would, would be more comparable to the south however again the proximity that we are to so much else and maryland's an interesting state because there's just it's a small state but there's a lot of different diversity there between mountains and the ocean and the beaches and farmland and you know everything in between and so we got to really kind of be a part of that i would say most of the people in our town would probably tend to think that they're southerners whether <laughs> anyone else would think that or not yeah. Well, you're definitely the first country artist that I've interviewed from Deal, Maryland. So, <laughs> <laughs> if there was another one, we would have known that by now. <laughs> so, y'all, I always talk about food on this podcast a little bit, and um, y'all are pretty big guys, and you had a big family. I think you had five siblings all together. Yeah. Who was the one that was uh, doing all the cooking? Our parents shared that, you know, I mean, our dinners weren't these big family style multi-course meals. A lot of times it was like dinty more beef stew and some microwave rice or something like that. You know, we grew up very lower middle class on a working man's wage. And um, it was kind of humble, humble beginnings, uh, even at the dinner table. But we would have, you know, great nights and Kind of going back to a question you asked a bit ago about, you know, we're kind of from the South, we're kind of from the North. You know, you see people from the North and you see biscuits and gravy, they're super confused. However, biscuits and gravy is a big dish in our house. Our dad makes homemade sausage and gravy, doesn't make homemade biscuits. Our aunt Darlene just makes some great homemade biscuits. 
And that's a, a big part of our living, you know? I mean, it feels like before noon, we ate like we were in the South. And maybe after, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon, we started eating like we were from somewhere else. <laughs> Um, but this place is being called Biscuits and Jam, and we've had our fair share of both. <laughs> well, so, TJ, did y'all grow up on a lot of seafood? I mean, I would think that there'd be oysters and crab cakes and shrimp in abundance anytime you wanted them. Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, that and rockfish, or, you know, they call uh, striped bass, but that's really what the, the bay's known for. I always love when I see on menus they'll say Maryland-style crab cakes. And John and I are always like, is it Maryland crab or is it Maryland-style? Yeah. You got to read the fine print when you're ordering a <laughs> crab cake outside of Maryland. But yeah, we had them all the time and we love them. And, and still people, when they come down to visit us, they'll with some dry ice and bring down some crab cakes for us because there's just nothing else like it. I mean, they do it right for sure in that regard. And so, yeah, you're either getting some crab cakes, definitely some shrimp, oysters, or rockfish. A really close friend of ours in our hometown would make this amazing rockfish and then stuff it with crab meat. It's like anything that you can double down, triple down on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we've had it all. <laughs> and the best thing about it, though, is it's fresh right out of the water. It's actually quite amazing. Um, the funny thing about eating crab meat, though, is that everyone has got their own way of picking crabs. One time, we uh, had some crabs in Nashville, a, a friend of ours purchased and had them sent down and we invited everyone over. And about 20 minutes into it, everyone was so confused that they just gave up. You know, when you're picking your own crab, it's more about the experience, you know? It would be akin to like a crawfish world, like a, a low country world or something like that. You sit around and you're picking the food that you eat and having conversation you spread out on the table. And there's like corn on the cob as well. Everyone's drinking beer. And it's about the camaraderie and the, the experience as much as it is about eating the food. And it's something that we certainly don't get to do much anymore. So whenever there's a chance to do a low country boil, we'll always do it because it's the closest thing for us to eating Maryland crabs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but if you're starving and you're picking your way through crabs, it, you know, it's not the best way to get full in a hurry, you know? Well, not if you're not any good at picking them, though, but if you have experience picking them, you, you can get full pretty quick. <laughs> you know, that's why you, you kick it off with a, some Coors Lights or something, and then you, you, you fill up on the beer. Then the crab meat doesn't get in the way of the drinking either. That's the thing. You can do both. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, y'all are professionals, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I've read that y'all shared a room when you were growing up. And I'm wondering, did you have a special bond because of that, or did it have the opposite effect? TJ? Uh, you know, John and I were two years apart, but our lives have very, I feel like, very much been like those of, I, that I would compare to a lot of other siblings who were twins. We always were just really close and doing things together. And, and yeah, we had to share a bedroom all the way up until... John took off to college and I moved down to Nashville and then we still shared a bedroom then. And now we, we laugh because now we're on a tour bus sharing bunk beds again back on a tour bus. Yeah. We just can't get, we can't get away from each other. So I don't know that we have much of an option in <laughs> this, but you know, it has brought us really close. And I, I don't know if it's specifically the bedroom that has done that, but we our, our family is very family centric and, and, you know, they're the, definitely the types where you don't, walk away from problems and you face them and talk about them and get through them together. And 
And, you know, I think when you share a bedroom with each other, you have to get through them really, really fast. Yeah, <laughs> you, have to, right. you have to fix your shit really quick. And move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, so y'all grew up playing a lot of music with your dad. And uh, you had a band with him called Deuce and a Quarter, which I love. Mm-hmm. Was music just a hobby for your dad or did he have bigger aspirations? Our dad definitely had bigger aspirations. And he and our mom would come to Nashville once, twice a year sometimes and pursue a career in songwriting as country songwriters. And it was unfortunately unsuccessful for them, but it did pave the way for us. However, you know, it didn't stop us from sitting around the table playing songs. Whenever there was a birthday, a graduation, hell, there would be a funeral. It didn't matter. We would have guitars at some point in the night, and we would all sit around and sing covers, sing originals. And I mean, really, for all of us, it's still like a hobby. It's just we're lucky that we get to pay our bills with it now. And I was playing the guitar this morning, and it was just as fun as it was when I was doing it in my room as a teenager. It's just something that you love to do. And sometimes you blur the lines between what a hobby is and what a job is. And it can get convoluted and tricky, but overall, we're very lucky that we get to do that. And we would not have been able to do that had our parents not paved the way for us as kids. Hmm. You know, I saw a video of you guys playing with your dad on the Bobby Bones show a few years ago, and clearly y'all were having a great time. What are some of the things that he taught you about performing or songwriting that have stayed with you and your mom too? I guess, you know, just by osmosis, you pick up these things, watching them do it. As you saw on the Bobby Bones show, we, we kind of recreated our childhood bands, but also just, um, I mean, you could, through a song, make someone cry. Through a song, you can make someone laugh or dance or party or even though it seems at times just for pure entertainment, it's not really that. It's them. It's a, you see the real power in what music actually provides to everyone's daily lives. So our hometown, we love it, but there's a lot of knuckleheads there. I mean, it's it can be rough around the edges at times. And so to bring a bunch of people together that sometimes normally wouldn't be and just have this peaceful territory for everyone to come and hang out. So now when we go out and play, we're doing this in someone else's town, but it's a lot of the same remedies and or concoctions we had in our own hometown. At just a little bit bigger scale now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely could not pay the bills with the deal Maryland scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, John, you were the one to move to Nashville first. Did you struggle for a while there, or did you just kind of jump right in? Well, I graduated high school, and then the next step would be college. And I knew at a very young age I wanted to be a musician. Deal is a great place to live, but it's not great if you want to pursue a career in music. There are basically three bars that you can play at, and they wouldn't necessarily keep the lights on. And you have to fish where there's water, literally fish where there's water and deal, but metaphorically fish where there's water in Nashville. And it, it was just a matter of you know knowing that I had to put myself in a place where there was a lot of opportunity. And so I started going to Belmont University in 2000 with the help of some scholarships, friends and family and some loans, a lot of loans. And I happened to be two and a half years older than TJ, so it made more sense as he was graduating high school himself. 
for me to come down here first, pave the way, make sure that everything's fine. And I'm glad that it worked out like that. It was an easy way for me to acclimate myself to the city, whereas just moving here, finding a day job, and then trying to figure out how to get a music industry, I would imagine it's very difficult. But being in school, it was kind of like the kiddie pool version of being in Nashville. We got to meet people. It forces you to find a friend group. And that is a really big part of mine and kind of by proxy TJ's journey as well. You know, there aren't a ton of family bands out there. You know, I think of the Carter family and the Almonds. Oasis. The Judds, the Avett Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, Oasis, that one didn't work out very well. (laughs) But what's the secret to making it work, TJ? I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that we respect each other. And I think also one thing that really works for us is we're obviously a duo, but that really consists of mostly predominantly me singing and John playing guitar. And I think we don't really that often want to do what the other person's doing. So we don't really step on each other's toes very much. Or I think if we were clamoring to be, I want want to be the lead guitar player or I want to sing on this one. I think that's where you see a lot of like inner turmoil with uh, family bands. We're not really that way. And in fact, we tend to encourage each other to get up and yeah. sing one or play a solo. And, and usually it's like, no, no, thanks. I'm okay doing what I do. And so that I think helps us a lot. And don't get me wrong. There are times where it is very trying, very hard. One thing we had to do was stop sleeping in the same bedroom with each other. That helped a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We had to get out of the bunk beds, but uh, you know it's, it is interesting. We get asked that quite often by brothers or sisters or families that are like, "How do you all make this work? I could never do this with my brother or my sister." And it does. It works really, really well. I think we're quite different in a lot of ways, and I think we have a pretty healthy balance of our lives as individuals and our lives as um, a duo or a band, but. I think there's a healthy balance there. And I, I, that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, there was a time early in our career where we had to pour so much into this radio shows and the promo shows and the, you know, doing all of the, the I mean, we, I think in 2014, we did something like, I don't know, 270, 280 shows. And we were just around each other way too much. And it was really challenging. I think now we're in a spot where we've got good, healthy time at home. And that means sometimes, too, we might get together at dinner because the thing that's funny, we're out on the road. It's on time. We're brothers Osborne time where we come home and we just went out to Cheesecake Factory for our dad's birthday. It's where he wanted to go. <laughs> and so we went out there and had a family time. It had nothing to do with music, yeah. you know, other than someone wanting to come and take a picture. It's like, well, we're just kind of we're in family mode. So I think finding that balance of work life and family life and brother life has been crucial. But we, I feel like we've done a really good job with that. I'll be back with more from the Brothers Osborne after the break. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with the Maryland country duo Brothers Osborne. Well, you guys have had to lean on each other through a lot. And TJ, you know, it's been almost two years now since you came out as gay, which was a big moment in your life, but it was also a really big moment in country music. I mean, you were, I think, 36 years old. 
I'd rather you tell people I was gay than my age. I would give anything to be 36, TJ. I was kidding you. Sorry to stop your flow. Well, tell me, why did that feel like the right time to do that? There was a lot of things that kind of all came to a pass. You know, oddly, the pandemic really showed me most of the things that we consider to be what we want to chase and what we want to do. And you get so wrapped up in that that you realize that that really is pretty meaningless. And I really highlighted the things in my life that were important to me. And that was very obvious things, probably, but my family and my friends. And then also really, I think for me, was really diving into myself and being happy with myself and liking myself and being proud of who I am. And I did have that with my family and friends. I mean, they all knew, but I didn't have that with my my public life and my relationship with my fans. And I did feel like that was ultimately affecting my mental health and my relationship with myself and my ability to truly be who I am and authentic, which I feel like John and I, I think, pride ourselves on and, and we're kind of known for. But at the same time, that it just seemed kind of like a, a perpetual daily lie. And I just, I, I just was at a point where, you know, the ends didn't justify the means, I guess. I think getting to a place to where, okay, I need to be happy. Now, now that we're at this place and we made that decision, How do we roll this out in a way that could hopefully be beneficial for other people? Also be very cognizant of the fact that we've all seen examples where people try to be pretty opportunistic with such things. And I didn't want that at all. I wanted just to, you know, kind of have this known so I could live my life uh, completely off the leash, so to speak. There were a lot of factors that went into it. But I will say since doing it and being uh, where I am now, everyone that does it says they wish they had done it earlier. You know, and I, I certainly feel that way. And I also wanted to do it at a time in our career. Where, you know, I knew it would look opportunistic if we were on our way down or if we were too early in our career. I always feared people would think I did it for the headlines. But trying to find that time, I was like, I, I want to do it at the height of our career. But then I'm like, you never know. You're at the height of your career until you're on the way down. So and then <laughs> it's right. too late. So I thought, you know what? I have to do this for myself. I was in a relationship that I, I currently still am in that I, I knew that would never really get to the heights that I wanted it to with the current build. And it was just, it was stifling. So it was time for me to move on to a, a new place in my life. And luckily, I was in a very fortunate position to have lots of people around me that supported me. And of course, one of your biggest supporters was your brother. John, you guys are obviously in this together. Did you have any advice or was your role more to just sort of sit back and just kind of be there for him? You know, my role was just to be his brother, you know, and I wanted to be the support that he needed when he needed it. And the type of perspective that you get when you achieve your dreams, it's quite profound. It's kind of springboarding off of what TJ had mentioned. It's when you finally get what you're looking for, you realize that the things that matter most have been there all along. And that's your friends and your family, and that's the feeling of acceptance and love. And those things supersede any type of, you know, awards or monetary success or anything like that. And at the end of the day, there was a bit of fear or concern or anxiety surrounding it because you don't know. It's, it's, you can't really predict how anyone's going to react. And I was ready to verbally fight people on Twitter if I had to. And fortunately, that never had to happen. It was quite eye-opening for me to know that, wow, we've come a long way as a society to where that, yes, this is news, but it's great news. It's good news for everyone. And yeah, there are a few outliers that no matter what you say, there are going to be people that hate on you. It's unavoidable. 
but it was overall so beautifully positive. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what matters most. And it's my brother's happiness. It's not my career or our career. It's about his happiness and, and my own happiness and what makes you truly happy. So I had come to terms with the idea long before he decided to come out that if he did come out one day and it ruined our entire career, it stopped it right there dead in his tracks, I wouldn't care. I would not lose sleep over that because it's not nearly as important as his happiness. So for me, the anxiety came in. I got to look out for my little brother, but it was never what's going to happen to our career because that really pales in comparison. Yeah. Well, I mean, TJ, you're one of the biggest country stars to publicly do this, and there's not really a playbook for it. So it's hard to know what the reaction is going to be. I know that y'all call your fan base your family. Yeah. So there's this very strong relationship that you have with your fan base. And so telling them must have felt kind of like you're talking to your family. And I'm just wondering what their response was, because it seemed overwhelmingly positive. It was. You know, I will say that we, which was intentional from early in our career, slowly tried to start chipping away at, at fans that probably wouldn't be okay with that. I mean, if you look at our, our Stay a Little Longer music video, we had lots of different couples in it that represented a lot of different relationships, one of those being a gay couple that was in the in the video, which a lot of people were upset about at the time. But we kind of knew okay, if we don't lose you now, we're going to lose you eventually. Trust me. You know, something a lot bigger than this is coming your way. So we've, I thought, really made some pretty smart decisions to start going in that direction. Another was um, nearly all of our songs. They aren't gender specific. So we knew that we get to this place, we're like, okay, how do we get fans that are just are going to be okay with, with this? And so, but you still don't know. And I think John and I, we, again, we've been pretty outspoken and just as to who we are as people and what we align with. And I think our fans, for the most part, feel the same way. Or, and if they don't agree with us, I think they just respect us for the, the backbones that we have, I guess. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the response from them was really positive. I was really surprised. I think one of the biggest surprises I had were how many straight guys were like, hey, man, like, we love you. We're still going to the shows. Don't worry about it. Like, we think no differently. And I didn't think I needed to hear that, but it was really nice to hear. It made me feel really good. My view of humanity was forever changed. <laughs> well, you know, John, I, I saw you say in a, an interview, I think it might have been CBS, um, that you've never been more proud to be a part of country music than you are today. Was that a reference to this kind of response? Absolutely. You know, being born in the 80s, growing up in the 90s, country music in those years, I want to be careful on how I phrase this, it gave off the impression that it was not very open to these sorts of things for one reason or another. I mean, if you look at Katie Lang and her career, and it just comes with kind of a warranted level of concern, especially when your close family is involved. So you try to predict the worst, and the fact that I was off and the fact that I was wrong was like the greatest feeling ever. I, I hate being wrong, but I loved being wrong that time. <laughs> and I was beaming with pride. I looked around at our community. I looked around at our, our friends and our contemporaries within the industry. And there was so much outreach. I mean, I'm, I'm sure TJ got a lot more than I did, but people would text me directly and just say how proud they were of TJ, of us. And it felt like our town, our friends and family, and then the fans, and then the giant 
country music community at large was just lifting us up on their shoulders. And I love this genre. I love this music. I love writing it. I love playing it. We've been listening and playing this music since we could walk and talk. And it just made me love it that much more. I really do love this genre of music. Mm. I want to turn to something a little sad. I was watching the video for I'm Not For Everyone, which features the actor Leslie Jordan, who just passed away last year. I'm wondering how that came to be and what he meant to y'all. Leslie, we got to know more and more in a very short period of time. I'm very grateful to have not only met him, but to be able to call him a friend and to get to know him and spend time with him. He was a very special person. I mean, he truly was someone that uh, obviously loved to make people laugh, but would really go above and beyond. And first of all, he loved being the center of attention. So he would light the room up. He was just really, really naturally a very, very funny, incredible storyteller. How it came to be that he would be on our music videos, I was asked to, to join him for a tribute to these hymns called Companies Coming. At the time, I actually wasn't out when I was asked to do this, but to be asked, you know, he wanted this gay man being himself singing all these hymns because he grew up with them and loved them. And to my knowledge, was still religious. But I think that where he grew up kind of felt shunned by this community, he wanted to lean into that a little. So then obviously coming out to where there's two gay men singing this hymn, was really a really special moment in a lot of ways. And those songs, I didn't grow up in church, but I love those songs. They're just fun to sing. They get really beautiful melodies and can really hit you in the feels. But it came time for us to do this video and they wanted a character that sounded very similar to Leslie, someone who would stick out at a bar. So I thought, you know, let me let me call Leslie and see if he can would be a part of this video, which he did. And let me tell you, he was there all day long and worked tirelessly and demanded to not be paid. And he's just really someone who just gave a lot of himself to all of us. And I think that's why he left such a lasting impression. I'm like Scott, time to go bands. I'm like peace, I towns, bands, and I'm always speaking my mind. It's a great video, and I would encourage everybody to check it out that has not seen it. It's just so much fun and uh, just great energy. So I want to ask you all about one more song. That's the Midnight Rider's Prayer, which has a kind of tribute to Willie Nelson uh, built into it. And I love that you just dropped part of On the Road again in the middle of that song. How did that come to be, and I'm especially curious what Willie's uh, response to the song was. We were writing the verses to the song, and then we liked the mood of it all, and then we couldn't really get the chorus right, and we are like, just something doesn't feel right, and then I think John was like, we need something that sounded like on the road again, you know, if it was something like that. And of course, how do you, I'm not going to beat that, it's a classic for a reason. And so I was like, well, why don't we just use it? They do that a lot in in a lot of other genres of music. Why don't we just do that? Of course, we would need Willie's permission. And even if we didn't need it, we would certainly not do it without it. So we sent it his way and got his permission. I have heard that through trusted sources that he really loved it. 
apparently played it for Christofferson, which was also a crazy thing to experience growing up fans of both of them, which, you know, how couldn't you be? But really, it was kind of our take on a new adaptation of that song, because for us at the time, when we wrote it, we had just came off of being in 12 passenger vans and hitting it hard. And it wasn't as happy and and hunky-dory. So it was like, this is hard and tough. And we are, we're driving all night long to get to the next show. So that was our kind of take on it. Four wheels, six trains, go on smoke and gasoline. Born to live a midnight rider's prayer. Same boots, new crowd, same tune, new time. Trying to get to heaven for the devil even knows we're there. So I want to ask y'all about your new whiskey. You have just partnered with Whistlepig on on a new whiskey, and I happen to have a bottle of it sitting right here, actually. Y'all probably get a lot of opportunities to partner on different things. What made you want to make a whiskey? Yeah, I mean, we do, and you're right. And I think for us, it's about trying to find things that align with us and who we are. And, and yeah, there's a lot of times we get offered money for certain things that just doesn't work for us. And we know that our fans out there, I think ultimately would feel sold out themselves if we get this place just to do that. So we happen to be big fans of whiskey, go figure. And we also happen to be particularly really big fans of whistle pig. And I've always loved whistle pig. And so They were one of the sponsors of the music video that we have with Leslie Jordan. And that kind of started a relationship with them. And, you know, they asked us, are you guys fans? And it was almost like a, you know, like, is this a rhetorical, rhetorical question? Of course we are. So then they asked us if we wanted to be a part of this series. And we were like, oh my, yeah, we would absolutely love to, which not only do we drink your all's product, but to be able to collaborate with you and be able to have our own influence on it. So you know, we got in there and went up to Vermont where they're located, I guess their headquarters, I don't know what you'd call it, but their farm up there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful farm. Spent some time up there, a couple of nights, and got to try lots and lots and lots of whiskey. And then we settled on this. We thought it was we thought the, the profile was amazing. And when it got finished and they sent it to us, I was just blown away with it. I, John and I both would not put our name on something we didn't think was great. And I think it really has turned out phenomenally well. Well, I'm going to give it a little shot. I've got a bottle of it here. (laughs) And even though it's in the afternoon and I've got to go and edit a bunch of magazine stories after this, (laughs) I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) So, John, this is a rye whiskey. Did y'all especially want to do a rye or was that something that, that they suggested? Well, it was at the time when they started working on this piggyback rye. And it just coincided with that I personally do love rye whiskey. I love old-fashioned. So whenever I go in old-fashioned, I request rye because I think it kind of like rounds out the sweetness a bit. So it just happened that way. They do also make a bourbon as well that they just gave us, and it's phenomenal. The funny thing is when we went to Vermont, we tried these whiskeys, and we tried three different chars. And it's either my brother and I agree on something 100% or we disagree 100%. And we both actually prefer the same char level, which I think was the most charred. So it's really great. It's got a bit of caramel. You get 
the sweetness of like a butterscotch, but then there's a, like a little bit of a smokiness to it as well. And it's dangerous, you know. There's certain whiskeys that you drink a glass of, and you're like, all right, that was great. This one, you just want to keep going. It'll sneak up. It's uh, <laughs> it is dangerous, and it's really smooth and really good. And it would be very easy to have several of them before you knew what you were doing. <laughs> so, congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> we you. probably should have done this at the beginning of the interview. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, I just have one more question for you guys. What does it mean to you to be Southern? TJ, why don't I start with you? You know, what it means to me, I think, to be Southern is probably a lot of what it means to me to also be a country music singer. You know, I think I represent a lot of things that aren't what you probably would think in a cliche way to what a country singer would be or what someone from lives in the South would be. And, um, you know, I think part of one of the callings, I think, in my life is to expose that to people and and try to, because there are, as is anywhere, great things and bad things about it all. So I think to go out there and, and hopefully show people that there's more to it than meets the eye. Well, y'all are, y'all are definitely doing that, and it's great to see. Thank you so much. John, what about you? Oh, you know, it, it's funny. There are so many similarities between the North and the South. There's a lot of farmland. There's a lot of rural areas and stuff like that. But really, one of the biggest things is like the Southern food is such an inherent part of the culture. And there is a reason why they have Southern style grits, Southern style gravy, Southern style this. It's because it's comforting. And the food here is a bit of like a metaphor for how the life is down here and how the people are. They're very warm. They're very cozy. They're very comfy. It's just a really, really good feeling. Is it perfect? No, nothing's perfect. But it's absolutely beautiful in every in every other way. And I feel very grateful to be down here, living in Nashville, being a part of the community. And I'll soak it up every day. Well, John and TJ Osborne, congrats on all your success. And uh, thanks so much for being on Biscuits of Jam. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here on your show. And thanks for all of the great questions. And clearly, you, you did your research. It's always nice to be with a great interviewer. Uh, well, thanks. I really enjoyed it, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brothers Osborne. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join us next week for my interview with the North Carolina country star, Chase Rice. We'll see you then.